0: and I think that makes everything safer when you are getting more sleep because things even things like driving the car the next day you know you're functioning at a much higher level so I think that is a huge one and for me that that went from her you know not being able to sleep at all and going bursts of minutes at a time or even trying to lay her in a cot and she would just wake straight up again to being able to get some really decent chunks of time. Hi, I'm Shelly.
1: And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and
2: anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life.
1: Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts and all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Hey, Shelly. Question. I may have asked you this before, but did you bed share with Morgan?
2: We co-slept, but didn't necessarily bed share. I had like one of those um, side sleepers that kind of tucked into the side of my bed. So she Mm -hmm. technically was part of the bed that was open, but she had her own little space. I liked the setup. I liked that because selfishly, I don't like I don't hold still in my sleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So wait, did you say
1: selfishly? I don't hold still. Selfishly,
2: I was leading to, selfishly, because I don't hold still in my sleep, I liked having her in a separate space, but also like right next to me. It's a nice compromise. Yeah, I don't think I would have liked it if she was in like a bassinet or something. I liked having her really close like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you find it made nighttime easier?
2: I guess I don't really have anything to compare it to. So yeah, I suppose it did. I mean, she woke up multiple times a night for like the first year of her life, so.
1: I can say that I bed shared with all my kids and I have no regrets.
2: My best friend bed shared with all of her kids as well. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really unfair that we make it, that we villainize it in this country.
1: Yep, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. We are interviewing Zoe Ear, aka The Respectful Mom, She is an author who wrote a book, a children's book, all about co-sleeping and bed-sharing, nighttime parenting.
2: Which is basically the norm in most other countries.
1: Yeah, we're just weird in the U.S.
2: (laughs) Weird. We're weird. We like to separate our children from us at, at birth.
1: Right. But first, they came out with a study, the World Health Organization. I don't know if you've read about this, but... They did a study to see how many women experience health problems that are overlooked during childbirth. And they found, <laughs> <laughs> any guesses? you guess it? Like 90%? Is that? <laughs> More like, than a third. That's a lot lower than I expected. Globally, experience lasting health problems caused by childbirth.
0: Yeah.
1: The most common complication experienced after childbirth is pain during sex which affects more than one-third of postpartum women. Another issue is that nearly one-third of women experience lower back pain. That's me. More than one-tenth of women experience the inability to get pregnant again. So they broke it down by um, complication too, but I'm really not surprised. I wonder what it it would look like if they, instead of globally, it was just the United States. Because I bet it would be higher.
2: Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it would.
1: Mm -hmm. Now let's do our question of the week. This week's question was submitted through Instagram. And if you'd like to submit a question for us to answer, you can do so uh, by DMing it to me at Shelly Taft IBCLC on Instagram. And the question is, why is formula looked so down upon even when baby is starving?
2: Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) First of all, I'd I'd say in general, it's not looked down upon. I'd say there are probably specific groups of people that look down upon it because I personally don't. I actually just referred my patient, one of my current clients to probably start using formula if she wasn't able to pump what she needed to, to supplement her baby. I frequently recommend formula actually to a lot of my families. That's a that's a tough question to answer without making people upset.
1: Well, the number one rule is always feed the baby. Always yeah. feed the baby. So I, I always, yeah. It sounds like some, this person was maybe working with a provider who was a jerk. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, made them feel bad have, about using formula.
2: Yeah. If you have somebody looking down on you for using formula to feed your baby, then you need to not be around that person anymore i would start there there are tons of people that either exclusively use formula or combination feed with formula and breast milk or breastfeeding or chest feeding by choice because that's just how it works best for them and that's fine i think we have gotten i think formula has been given a bad rap for a number of reasons number one we have swung so wildly from what the biological norm was which is to breast or chest feed your child. And then in the 1940s, it when World War right around World War II, when a lot of the women had to go into the workforce, all the men were off, you know, fighting a war. Then formula kind of became a bit of a necessity almost. And then it started becoming a status symbol. And then it then our women were told that formula was better for their babies than breast milk. By the way, there was like zero research or scientific evidence for any of these things that it was just the cultural norm at the time. Um, And then sometime in the 70s and 80s, we started, you know, actually looking at this stuff and realizing that the heavy use of formula and the exclusive use of formula was actually causing health problems for some people. Um, And then I think we're just kind of swinging back around to the biological norm. But we're not providing people with the education or the support needed to fulfill that biological norm.
1: I often wonder, too, if someone who had a goal of breastfeeding wasn't able to reach their original goal, if they would have felt as much pressure to breastfeed in the first place if they had those support systems in place? Like, did does the fact that the parents have no support contribute to that feeling of pressure?
2: Yeah, I, I also think that, you know, women are pressured into breastfeeding by healthcare providers without necessarily looking into all the factors that go into that. Because, again, you're singling out one specific thing to achieve a broader health goal mm-hmm. and i think that's really unfair for a lot of people for a lot of reasons but all, like all these providers push it because it's healthier in the grand scheme of things for an infant to for a human baby to have human milk that doesn't mean that formula isn't necessary sometimes and often called for it it just means that human milk is made for human babies and It'd be like if you had um, a protein shake for every single meal of your day, that wouldn't really be healthy for you. It has all the vitamins and minerals and and protein and nutrients that you supposedly need in a day, but there's zero, um, what's the word I want? Um,
1: It doesn't adapt or change.
2: There's no dynamic. There's no dynamic integration there like when you if you're as an adult are eating a, a variety of foods in, as part of your diet that's important because every food has something different to contribute to your diet mm. you know, versus if you were just having this one singular thing yeah right i think this is that's a that's a complicated question to answer in a short period of time i think that could be a whole podcast episode on i was
1: gonna say it the same time <laughs> <laughs>
2: It was an excellent question though. And I'm sorry to whoever made you feel bad for using formula to feed your baby. That's wildly inappropriate.
1: Next up, we will be talking with Zoe. Did you know that about 80% of parents in the US bed share with their baby at least once? But a lot of parents that I work with are unsure how to do it safely or unsure how to go about it. This week, I have Zoe Ayer on to talk all about safe bed sharing. Zoe is a huge proponent of safe bed sharing and a children's author. She wrote the book, I Will Always Help You to Sleep, which was released in April 2023. Zoe is also present on Instagram under the account, The Respectful Mom, where she shares her respectful parenting journey and shares tips and advice about the highs and lows of gentle parenting. Welcome, Zoe. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's
1: really lovely to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah. So my name is Zoe. Um, I'm a children's book author and I also run The Respectful Mum on Instagram, which essentially is an honest motherhood page. I share my respectful and gentle parenting journey, um, sort of tips and advice along the way, but also quite a raw and honest version of of what life's like with um, a toddler gentle parenting them. And
1: what inspired you to start your Instagram account and to write your book?
0: I guess in those early months of parenthood, you find your way a lot, don't you, in those months? And I think I went into it, as a lot of people do, with some expectations about what things would look like and that kind of narrative that you're given around all sorts of things, so parenting, baby sleep. And it took me probably something like six or eight weeks before I started to realize that there was something else out there and that you didn't necessarily have to follow the narrative about how you should do everything. And it was kind of a process from there, really, where I really started to find my feet with what I wanted parenthood to look like and what I wanted to do. And I think probably about six months later, my idea came for the book where I think really I was just looking for something similar for me to read with my little girl and just realized that I couldn't find anything else out there that that showed the gentle parenting approach to sleep that I wanted to follow, that showed real depictions of bed sharing families. And so I kind of just thought, well, why not? If it's not out there, then maybe I, I'm just going to do it. So that was kind of the start of it. And then the Instagram followed in that I wanted to have an account to talk about that and also to sort of build, I guess, the blocks for that. So I could speak to other like-minded parents and, and have an account that people could come to for honest support and um, community really.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it sounds like you said, fine, I'll do it myself
1: when you couldn't yeah. find it. Be great. <laughs> Love <Exactly>. that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So what inspired you to, or how did you come about to the decision to bed share with your baby?
0: I would say I was probably forced into it by by her needs at the time, which I think is the, the case for a lot of people, isn't it? Where I think I probably went into having a baby thinking and believing that you couldn't bed share, that it wasn't safe to bed share. Um, And I had a little girl who just would not sleep anywhere but on or next to me, which I now know is really, really normal. But at the time, felt like I was doing something wrong or there was something wrong with what was happening in in our situation. And it was at the point in even those early days and weeks where she just would not sleep at all. And it was it was at the point of where it's more dangerous to try and stay awake for that long than to find a way to, to get the sleep. So. I think I kind of fell into bed sharing from that point of view and I've got that kind of personality, I think, where I need to know everything about something. So when I kind of went down that route, I then set about researching it and trying to find out everything I possibly could do um, about how to do it safely and and what it all meant. And and that's when I kind of started to find the different ways of, you know, the different information that was out there. So it was very much not a choice. It wasn't something that I went into thinking I've always wanted to bed share, um, but it was what saved us in terms of me being able to actually get proper sleep and to be able to function because then she slept as well when she was bed sharing with me.
1: Mm -hmm. And did you find that you were the only one in your mom friend group that was bed sharing or did you, were you surprised to find out more were bed sharing than you thought? Did you get any pushback from the pediatrician?
0: So in my friend's group, it was really interesting. Actually, everybody stayed very quiet about it, probably for easily a good six months, maybe longer. And then it was almost like it. one person said it and then everybody went, oh, you're doing it too. And we realized that I I don't know, out of 10 or 12 people, probably 75, 80% of them were bed sharing and people just didn't feel able to talk about it or say it. And and then as soon as you know one person mentioned it, it was quite freeing and people realized actually no other people are doing this. I'm not on my own. We don't have pediatricians over here in the same way that you do in, in the US. So um, we have something called health visitors. I don't know if you've come across them, but similar to a nurse and the health visitors will come out. Um, mine was very much it was a tick box. So I think she asked the question and I said, Yes, we're bed sharing, and she simply said, And are you doing that safely? And I just said yes, you know, at the time quite blindly, because I don't know. Nobody's <laughs> taught me if I'm doing it safely or not. And she just said, Okay, thank you. And then she sent me a text message later that to the Lullaby Trust website about their safe bed sharing guidance. And that was literally it, which I think is a very different experience, isn't it, to the US? And the UK, I think, is the tide is turning. They're becoming a lot more accepting of it. But equally, I still felt that was really unhelpful because that was almost like, I'm not going to educate you in any way. I'm just going to tick my box to say that I've asked you the question. And I'm going to leave it at that, which is not particularly helpful.
1: (laughs) Right. A little bit more guidance
0: would have... Yeah, it would have been great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think some studies show in the U.S. up to 80% of parents are bed sharing at least one point or another in in the span of when their kids are young. But like you said, in, in England, nobody talks about it because they're afraid of being judged or being called a bad parent. I also think there's a lot of fear mongering in the U.S. with anything involved with raising a baby, but especially sleep. Yes, yeah, agreed.
0: Yeah. And I think that was the thing that terrified me the most because you, you know, every part of your being wants to keep your baby safe. So if you've got mm-hmm. people telling you that what you're doing just to try and get some sleep is really dangerous, that's it's really damaging to your mental health as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I'm a really firm believer in that it's education that's important. And I think the mistakes or things happen when you don't know how to do things properly. So actually zero tolerance doesn't work, does it? We need to have a system where people are told this is how to do it safely. If you're going to do it, you know, these are the things that you need to do to minimize risk. And actually, that's a much safer way of dealing with these things than than simply fear mongering and, and telling people that they shouldn't and can't do it. Right. And I think
1: in the U.S. especially, the message can miss its mark. It's so ingrained. And I'm talking, we've had ads put out to parents that, for example, there was one ad coming out of Detroit, I believe, where it showed a, a parent's bed and the headboard of the bed was made to look like a headstone on a grave. And it said, wow. you know, if your baby sleeps here, this, this is where they will die or something like that. Like very, truly fear-mongering. There's, there was yeah, another ad, Yeah, where there was a baby sleeping with a knife. And it said, you know, you wouldn't let your baby sleep like this. So why would you let them sleep in your bed? It's just as dangerous. And the problem in the US is the message Mrs. Mark, where I have a lot of parents who, it's so ingrained in their heads that they can never bring their baby in their bed with them. And so they go out into the living room because their baby won't sleep unless being held or close to them and hold their baby, lay their baby on top of them and then sleep on the couch, which is a yes. thousand times more dangerous Yep. than setting them. up your bed safely. But because of the way the U.S. gets that message across, it's just like you said, it's like one blanket statement instead of analyzing each individual family on an individual basis and saying, this is how you set it up. And this is the risk factors that you have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And let
1: people make an informed decision. Yeah, Right. What do you think is the most surprising thing that you found out when you started to research bed sharing and how to do it safely? Firstly, that there
0: was a safe way <laughs> um, <laughs> because that just, I just didn't know. And also I guess the way that you do it safely, when I was in those very early days, I made some really bad choices, I think, because I didn't know. And you kind of, until you've done the research and you know things, you have to go on what your instinct tells you, don't you? And I I did some things where in my head, I was like, OK, this might make it safer if I can try and pack myself in and I'm not going to move because I'm packed in and things like that. And I know now that that was really unsafe, but it was made, those decisions were made with, you know, the best of intentions at the time without the knowledge um, and just being desperate to sleep and so I think that was really freeing finding out that yeah there are these ways to do it you know the particular way of the cuddle curl for example and how to, to how to lay your body and how instinctual that is actually and how it just feels right and once you understand all of that I think that was really surprising that it felt a lot safer and it, it felt like okay no, this is that this is quite natural and this is how it's meant to be this is okay Cuddle curl.
1: I've never heard it referred that way. I love that. I'm I'm totally really stealing that. No, I've never heard of the cuddle curl. <laughs> I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I've never heard of it called that. Oh, interesting. Can you explain what the cuddle curl is?
0: So yeah, you're kind of laid on your side um, with your arm outstretched under you. So for example, on the left-hand side, and then your body's, I'm pointing because we're on the video as well, which won't be with the audio, but your body's kind of at that, Um, angle where your baby will be next to your chest and then your knees come up so that essentially your baby can't go up or down and you're kind of curled around their body and it stops you from rolling forward because you've got your arm out and obviously if you roll back then it they're not that's not where the baby is they are in in front of you so it it protects them from that point of view and if you're in a bed with a partner then it protects that way as well doesn't it and that you're not you're kind of you're you're the barrier between the other person in the bed
1: Mm -hmm. And what I love most about the cuddle curl is I've been a lactation consultant for almost 10 years. And every time I would practice side-lying with a mom and and her baby, every single time, bam, the mom just goes into the cuddle curl instinctively. I've never done side-lying with a parent where they didn't automatically do that as soon as they lay down next to their baby. It's, It's so instinctual. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd agree. It really is. So what are the benefits of safe bed sharing for both parents and baby?
0: I think for me, the biggest one is the improvement in sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes everything safer when you are getting more sleep because things, even things like driving the car the next day, you know, you're functioning at a much higher level. So I think that is a huge one. And for me, that that went from her, you know, not being able to sleep at all and going bursts of minutes at a time or even trying to lay her in a cot and she would just wake straight up again to being able to get some really decent chunks of time. And then you've also got the additional benefit of being able to sort of feed in bed and not having to wake yourself up to get out of bed, to get them back in with you, to feed them, to then make sure you stay awake, to put them back in bed. And again, all of that improves the amount of sleep that you're getting and that they're getting. And I think that for me, that was the biggest benefit.
1: So how would parents who want to try safe bed sharing, how would they set up their bed?
0: So one of the biggies is making sure that you've got duvets and, and big things like that out of the way. So, for example, we split it so that I didn't have a duvet at all. I just had a blanket which went around myself, sort of my waist up to my um, up to my waist, and then nothing over and above that. You can make your baby warm enough so that they're not going to be cold, but equally it's about not having big, heavy things like that that they could that could be a risk to them of suffocation. Same with pillows you know, that cuddle curl and having your arms stretched outwards is really important so that if you've got a pillow, that's not going to come down and the baby's not going to shuffle up into the pillow as well. Cracks in the bed, for example, are really really can be quite difficult. So you need to make sure that they are either packed or not there at all because what we want to avoid is any situation where the baby's wriggled um, to a different point in the bed and, and things like that where it could either be an entrapment risk or a suffocation risk. Not quite to do with how the bed is set up, but making sure that the parent themselves is safe. So, for example, you know, under the influence of drugs or alcohol or medication, which might make you drowsy. Even if you're poorly, it's things like making sure that you feel that you're, you know, you're going to be easily roused if you need to be and making sure that your setup is safe from that perspective. Discussing with your partner, you know, is your partner in bed with you? are they aware that the baby's in bed with you and is it you know is it a joint decision they know what what's happening as well and they understand the safety risks and um and how to promote that as well from a safety angle and i think all of those things together if you're interested in finding out a bit more of it there's at least in the uk anyway we call it the safe sleep seven and there's you know lots of um websites and things out there where mm-hmm. you can look up that and, and find a lot more detailed information about how to set that up safely I think it's worth being aware that there's a lot of images out online that are really bad examples. I don't know if you've seen those kind of things where you, it's sent out as a, this is an example of how to save your bed share and it's absolutely terrible. And there's okay. du, duvets everywhere and pillows everywhere. And yeah, I think it's about knowing where to go that, to trustworthy sources to find that information.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the US we have um, Dr. James McKenna is very popular. I don't know if you yeah. read his book too.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. That's, like, I mean, that's the Bible, really, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I love what you said that about the pictures because even just, you know, as a sleep coach, I, I often look for stock photos of babies, even just sleeping in their cribs, and it's amazing how many of those photos have the baby sleeping on a pillow or have the baby have a regular blanket on them. And it's, I can't even find any at all of safe bed sharing that I can use um, in my content. But yeah, it's, it's almost like they they purposely make it harder.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. And that was one of the things with my books that I really wanted to happen. So there's a few pages where it's showing bed sharing in the book. And mm-hmm. we made sure that they, those images reflect what a safe bed sharing practice looks like. Because so I think that's really important. If you're going to write a book about these kind of things, it needs to promote it safely and, and to show the right examples of that rather than, yeah, these examples where it's really not.
1: Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought up the importance of making sure that the partner is on board with bed sharing. And I know that that's something that Dr. McKenna talks a lot in his book, that in order for it to be safe, both parents have to be in agreement and be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Are there any other
0: specific situations where it would be completely unsafe to bed share? I suppose that, well, I think I've mentioned drugs and alcohol, haven't they? That clearly, you know, they're, they're biggies, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah. Um, have you got anything else in mind? I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I know if you smoke,
1: it's a bad idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, with premature babies or small for gestational yeah. age, what's interesting about the premature babies is that we don't have any research showing if there is a point where it becomes safe. If I know that that's
0: happen. a really difficult one, isn't it? And mm-hmm. yeah, I think you have to, I suppose, make a lot of informed decisions and, um, try and assess that on a case by case basis. But yeah, I think, um, it's about The health issues, isn't it, with premature babies and and low weight babies? And yeah, I think that's a really difficult one if people are in that situation.
1: Mm -hmm. A lot of times when parents are bed sharing, they will get comments from family or friends like, oh, if you don't get your baby out of your bed, you'll never get them out of your bed. And I'm just wondering what you are, how you, if you have received comments like that, how do you respond to them?
0: Yeah, we've definitely had our fair share of people who disagreed with it or. Especially things from not just the bed sharing angle, but the supporting your baby to sleep angle in the white, you know, you need to sleep train, and particularly now my little girls sort of two years, three months ish, and at this age, people are really starting to be more vocal about that. About you know, she should be putting herself to sleep by now. You should be able to just shut the door on her and um, and to leave her. And me and my husband are both very much on the same page, and and our response is often why would we want to do that? We, we enjoy that time with her and, you know, that's not going to be the case forever. Um, And actually it's a really, really special time of day, putting her to bed, listening to, you know, the way she jabbers on about her day and you, you get a little window into their mind that particularly with toddlers that you don't necessarily get the rest of the day. And so I think that's often our response is, it's something we, we enjoy. We're happy with it. It's our family decision, you know, and we, As a family, we review what works for us. And there was a time when my husband was sleeping in a separate bedroom for probably the best part of a year, to be honest, because it was easiest with um, me bed sharing and making sure that at least one of us was getting a really decent night's sleep and he could then help more in the day and things like that. And I think that's also tricky, isn't it? Because you get a lot of criticism from people for how, how can you kick your husband out of the bed kind of approach. And that, again, got comments and people saying that they... They didn't think that was the right thing to do. Which to me, I kind of think, why is it okay to kick your husband uh, your baby out of bed but not <laughs> not your right. husband sleep in a different room?
1: Right. Yeah. For all those critics were like, how could you know you you should be leaving your baby in a room by themselves yeah. and then turn around and say, How could you leave your husband in a room by himself? <laughs> exactly. It's a little bit messed up.
0: <laughs> yeah. So no, I think I've I've always been one where I've not my responses aren't generally rude. Um, I tend mm-hmm. to try and be more constructive about it and um, and focus on the positives and just say, you know, well, that's our decision. That's how our family set up. It doesn't need to bother anybody else, does it? It's about what we're happy and comfortable with.
1: Yeah, and it's not anyone else's business. You do, no, do you know me. what I mean. I think I, I tend to be a little bit more on the snarky, sarcastic side. So I bed shared, we did safe bed sharing with all three of my kids. Mm-hmm. And I remember with when we decided to do it with my first, we would do the constructive inform educate responses. But by the time I had my third, I was so over it. And I would just (laughs) make like comments like, yeah, well, when he goes to college, he'll have to go somewhere close by so he can still come home. (laughs) (laughs) Because no one, you know, eventually they want to move out of the bed on their own too. And you can, when you're ready to stop bed sharing, there's a way, there's ways that you can move in that direction. But with my kids, all three of my kids made a decision on their own. They were kind of like, yeah, I'm over this. I want my own bed,
0: want my own room. And it wasn't a problem at all. Yeah, and it does. It all happens in its own time, doesn't it? My little girl now is at a point where she sleeps in her own room, touch wood, generally from bedtime, so call it 8pm through till about 5 or 6 in the morning. And she does really long stints on her own now. Um, And she just comes in with me while it was sort of that last hour or two in the morning, which is huge progress, isn't it? And she's only two and a half at this stage. So you can see how these things progress over time and she... You know, in years to come, she's not going to want to come into our room. But whilst ever she does, I'm quite happy with that. I enjoy the snuggles and I think it's it's nice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there anything that you did to kind of gently push her in that direction, or is that something that she
0: did on her own? I'd say the biggest thing for us that shifted it that way was night weaning. So I am still breastfeeding, but I'm trying to think when we night weaned. So it would have been around last May. So she she would have been just over 18 months. And that did make a big shift for us in terms of sleep and and her going much longer stretches. I think prior to that, she probably went two to three hours at a time without milk. Um, And I would always then feed her back to sleep. And we were quite lucky with night weaning that it went pretty well fairly quickly she, you know, there were there were tears, and it was very much supported through those tears, and it, I was there the whole time, and and lots and lots of emotional assurance with it. But she very quickly got used to that new way of um, getting through the night, and and she seemed to be okay with going back to sleep on her own without it. After that, there are times when she'll still wake up at two a.m. and and she desperately wants it, and nothing else will do. But for the most part, she's she's there now in terms of she's happy with that. But I also think a lot of it's development, isn't it? And being ready to go those longer stretches. And I think if I'd have tried that even six months earlier, a year, for example, I don't think she would have been ready. I think all babies are different, aren't they? But I don't think she would have been able to go those longer stretches at that age.
1: And I think it's surprising to parents to learn that it is normal for kids her age and even older, up to six years, to to wake up Mm -hmm. multiple times during the night. In the U.S., we have a big push where parents being told between four and six months, your babies don't need overnight feeds anymore. You know, after six months, they don't need overnight feeds. And after four months, you can start sleep training them. Mm -hmm. And it just, it goes, for me, it goes er against every instinct I had as a parent, but also it goes against what the actual research shows. And the whole reason I became a sleep coach is I had so many families who were told, okay, you need to, your baby's four months, you need to sleep train them now. And their growth chart, tra- they started to just go down on their growth charts because the babies still actually needed those overnight feeds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've got very much the same narrative over here. And it's its really hard, isn't it? Because it, it chips away at people's mental health as well and makes you feel like you're doing something wrong because you've got this baby that wants to feed all night and that's not sleeping longer stretches. And you feel like, well, everybody else is doing this, so I need to do it. And it's its really hard. Um, I think having people like you and people spreading a message that's actually, no, that's, that's okay. That's normal. They need it
2: mm-hmm.
0: is really important. I think it was
1: in Dr. Sears' sleep book, but he said something that really resonated with me where he's like, it's your job as the parent to teach your child that sleep is a safe place to go. Yeah, And the the way that your child learns that sleep is a safe place to go is by knowing that every time that they wake up, you're going to be there for them, right? They can call out for you and you're going to be right there helping them. And to me, that just makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I'd agree. Yeah, it really resonates, doesn't it? And you think, well, of course that makes sense for them. And, and then they are going to learn with time, aren't they? That actually, I might not need mommy or daddy to get me back to sleep at this point because I know that I'm safe and mm-hmm. every other, you know, when I do need them, they're always here. Right, especially when they reach that age where they want to do
1: things by themselves. Mm. Like and that for me, I'm very type A. That was a very frustrating stage for me because my you know, my son would be like, I want to put my shoes on by myself, but he would
0: take like 15 minutes to do. It.
1: And I'm like trying to find that balance between letting him do it, but also we're gonna be late.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am very much in the thick of that right now. <laughs> that's that's our stage at the minute.
1: What would you say for parents who like the idea of bed sharing, like the idea of being close to their babies at night, but maybe they do have a premature baby, or maybe their partner does smoke, and so they can't directly bed share.
0: I think having the the safe, this separate surface, but next to, is really helpful for that. We started off with a um maxi cozy next to me crib where it kind of it's a separate sleep sleep space but it it's next to your bed and it's got the um the dip so you can reach your arm in and out quite easily so it's kind of akin to a moses basket that kind of thing so you're still in the same room um it's still right next to the bed but it's just they've got their own separate sleep space where they're not going to roll into your bed and i think that's really helpful in those kind of scenarios isn't it where for for whatever reason you don't feel that you can safely have them in your bed with you
1: and when we're when you were doing your research on safe bed sharing, did you come across any information on cultural perspectives of bed sharing like worldwide? How do other cultures outside England and the US handle bed sharing and infant sleep in general?
0: I think it's really fascinating that most countries across the world actually it's it is very much the norm. And I think actually it's kind of Western countries like the US, UK, Australia that we're probably really the ones that are unusual in that regard and yeah so many countries it is just completely natural isn't it I think Japan's a really big one where it's it's completely normal and and it's that's just the standard setup in bedrooms hotels everywhere it's you know Mm -hmm. it is set up for bed sharing and that's really normal so I found that quite enlightening but also quite supportive in that you know it it is very natural and so many people are doing it it's and it's it's more about a narrative that's happened over maybe the last century or so in terms of how western westernized civilization thinks we should parents and actually that's not necessarily akin to what what our ancestors did and what's natural
1: right it is a heavy emphasis on teaching babies independence right maybe should mm. be able to soothe themselves and sleep alone whereas that is not the biological norm mhm yep what motivated you you mentioned that you wanted to read a book with your daughter specifically that shows safe bed sharing and then it's normal and it as normal and standard mm-hmm. was there any anything else that motivated you to write the book for more for parents or were you focusing exclusively
0: on exposing children to the idea that this is good to do and safe to do i would say it's as much for the parents if not slightly more for the parents in that it it offers that support and just knowledge that there's other people out there doing the same thing. And you're seeing, I think it's even for parents reading a children's book and seeing pictures of your, what your family setup looks like, whatever that might be, whether it's about diversity or mental health issues or disability. I think seeing those kind of things in books and being represented is, is just really nice for adults and children and i think that was a biggie for me writing the book was i wanted parents to feel that support as well and to feel reassurance from it and to know that yeah what they're doing is 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 okay and it it's a good thing and that's been really nice to hear the feedback and how how it's impacted parents in that way and how it's been really positively received by them so yeah that's that's been really nice to see that it's as it's as well received by parents as it is by children
1: that's amazing. Yeah. Do you use a floor bed or a floor mattress?
0: Um, so what we ended up doing, I'm trying to think about how our process happened. When I moved her into a, her own room, I I tried the cot for all of, I don't know, two days. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> I think I realized that I'm supporting her to sleep. There's no way I can nurse her to sleep and then lean over this cot right down to the bottom rung and, and somehow get her to stay asleep. It was impossible. So then I tried converting that to a toddler bed, which is the tiniest things in the world, aren't they? So again, with me supporting her to sleep, that was impossible to for me to be able to sleep at the same time. So I ended up with a mattress on the floor next to the toddler bed, which again, just made no sense to me. So we ended up buying a king size bed and then just chopping the legs off. So it's not quite a floor bed. It's a bit higher than that, but it's low enough that if she was to fall out, she would be absolutely fine. But it also means that there's space for either me or my husband to to share with her for the hours that she needs in the night, and to help her get to sleep with all of us being comfy. So yeah, I've had a few comments about that. Oh, I've never seen a toddler with a king size bed before. But do you know <laughs> what? Again, it it just works for us, and it's mm-hmm. it's a nice way of doing it where there's space for us all. So is it is the bed
1: in her room or okay? Yeah, so and that, then that's the, in her room. Your bed in your room is. Did you cut the legs off that bed as well? No, so
0: I've always had that at full height, actually, but she I, it, she seemed to be absolutely fine in that one. I think we're probably quite lucky that's a super king bed, so there's plenty of space. And because it was most generally just me and her in the bed, it wasn't like we were always squashed at all. And I always had her in the middle of the bed and then me on the outside so that she wouldn't fall out of it. And it's also in the middle of the room. So again, you've not got the issues of like cracks on the side or being stuck next to a wall and a soft carpet underneath so It's not like she would fall onto a a hard floor if she she ever did fall out. But I don't think I can recall her ever falling out of it.
1: And of all the people you know and spoke to who bed share, do you know a lot of people who did opt to use the floor mattress or the floor bed?
0: Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard a lot of stories of people that have had real success with it and who it's just been a game changer for. It's just one of those things where it's really easy, isn't it, to support them to sleep and then just be able to like commando roll out of the bed and the ninja roll yeah exactly (laughs) and the
1: slink Um, away yeah that's that's how I did it too I would nurse my kids down to sleep for their nap too in our bed that way I could just do the slither and roll the ninja roll to get
0: out of the room yeah what is your favorite part about bed sharing I think the closeness of it um I just love be- when she's asleep and they're just really warm and cuddly, and the way you can just listen to their breathing. I just find that a really peaceful time mm-hmm. of night. Um, you know, sometimes bedtime takes absolutely forever to get her to sleep and I'll be there going, oh my God, just go to sleep, please. And then she falls asleep and I just lay there going, oh, she's so wonderful. I could just stay here all night watching her. <laughs> um, that. that's, <laughs> that's the typical bit of motherhood, isn't it? But yeah, I really enjoy that that peacefulness of it and just... Mm-hmm. Being close to them and being there with them.
1: I always fell asleep when I was nursing them asleep. I tell my husband, like, if I'm not back down here in an hour, please come and wake me up. And so <laughs> yeah. I really like the closest and snuggles too. And there was nothing like waking up to the sound of my baby or toddler, like giggling next to me as the sun was coming up and, you know, opening your eyes and seeing their smiling face.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful, isn't it? And they always say something to make you laugh at the beginning of the day, don't mm-hmm. they? Which you just don't get otherwise, do you? Right. Oh, sometimes I'd open my eyes and my son would be
1: like right there. Staring. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, what are you doing? This is intense. Yeah. I also like that even though, you know, my babies were frequent nurses throughout the night too. And especially as they got older, they would just kind of help themselves. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even really wake up, but yeah. I would know when I woke up, oh, someone got hungry throughout the night.
0: Yeah, we definitely have a lot of that as well. And because she's very much in the phase of everything, she has to do it herself. If I even try to pull my bra out of the way, she goes, no, my do it. And she puts <laughs> it back and then starts again. She's got leadership skills. <laughs> oh, she definitely does.
1: <laughs> what was your least favorite part of bed sharing?
0: Two. One, the uncomfortableness. And I, I really did find it uncomfortable. I found it painful. Mm. And my back for a long time was agony. Because it's not the comfiest thing in the world, is it? The cuddle curl with your arms stretched out. And yes, it's very natural in a lot of ways. But equally, when you're stuck in that position all night and you're used to being able to toss and turn and roll over, you can't do that. And I think that causes quite a lot of um, pain in the body. And the second, for me, probably more important was the anxiety at the beginning. And that I found really overwhelming. I think that was a real struggle because it it was just so much and it it triggered so many things in me in terms of fears. and. So yeah, I'd say that was one of the worst things. And obviously that grew with time, with knowledge and understanding and research. But in those weeks when I didn't know enough about what to do, but I also had a baby who wouldn't sleep any other way, that was horrendous.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the cuddle crawl was pretty comfortable for me. But once my kids started getting older, especially my son, he would do the sideways. He'd like wiggle sideways. So his feet would be right against my back or against my ribs. And he just wasn't a quiet sleeper. He moved around a lot. So it'd be like, oh, I'm getting kicked in the back again. Or, And you can see that on social media where they often have videos of like a mom. They do like a time lapse of the overnight with a mom and her baby. And you can see <laughs> yeah. the baby like moving all around. And then the mom sits up and nurse. And, you know, so it it can be a little uncomfortable that way. But... I didn't do well with sleep deprivation. I was not one of those people who could coast through my day off of like three to four hours of sleep. And so for me, the discomfort was worth the trade-off of feeling better rested and better able to handle everything during the day.
0: Yeah, I'd fully agree with that. It's like you say, it's a trade-off, isn't it? And you're balancing one thing against the other. And yeah, I'd say on balance, that was definitely better for me as well.
1: Where would you, if parents want to learn more about safe bed sharing, what are your favorite resources to point them in the direction to? We talked about Dr. James McKenna.
0: What are, yeah, we'll else share. do you like? Um, one of my favorites is Co Sleepy on Instagram. So I think her page is just brilliant for finding resources and the imagery, you know, like we were talking about actually having images that depict what is actually safe and the guides that she has. I don't think there's anything else out there like her in terms of accessibility for people. Um, so much free information on her page about what where to look, and I really, really like her page. And then, I don't know if you'll have heard of it, but the UK has Basis Online, which is it's run by Durham University. And again, it's got a fantastic page where it's very much, I would say it's aimed at professionals probably more than parents, but it's, it's broken down in a really easy way to understand and very, very factual and research led. I think it's Dr. Helen Ball that runs it. And she is just an absolute wealth of information. I remember messaging her in the middle of the night one time when my little girl was chest chest sleeping in bed and messaging saying, is this okay? Get, like, Is it safe? Can I do this? And she actually took the time to reply to me and ask me questions and and gave me some advice about it completely for free, just because she's a, a really lovely person and helpful. And yeah, I think those three are my top. So James McKenna, Basis, and Co-Sleepy.
1: So when you messaged her and you so you, what you were asking about to clarify is that you were sleeping with your daughter in the bed, but that your daughter was sleeping on top of you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Can and I ask time... what she
1: said and what advice she gave? Because that is a very common question that I get too.
0: Yeah. Um so I'm trying to think how old she was at the time. Was she I think she was four months. Um, and her advice was that she felt a lot more comfortable about it at that age than she would have done in the earlier months so I think one to three months she she said she would have felt less comfortable about it but she gave me advice about how how you lay them and it's sort of down your body vertically um so that I think that makes things a lot safer and because they're it's it's not quite the same as prone sleeping is it but because we're told aren't we about how unsafe it is for a baby to sleep on their tummy um, it was about that. And it's to do with your body being at a slight incline. So you raise yourself at an angle, um, for example, leaning on the pillow or something so that you're um, rather than flat down on on the bed. And so she gave me that advice in terms of limiting the risks that way. But yeah, I think the fact that she was four months as opposed to one to three months had made her feel a lot more comfortable. And she was kind of coming out of the the time frame when it is more of a risk. Mm mm-hmm. But again, Co-Sleep has got some really good guides on chest sleeping, which gives really detailed and wonderful advice on that and about how to set yourself up so you can do that safely. Because I think some babies and, and mine was one of them where it wasn't even necessarily in the early weeks. It was around that four, five month mark. We must have gone about two, two months solid where she would not even sleep anywhere, but on my chest. And when you're in the thick of that, it feels like it's never going to end, doesn't it? Mm hmm yeah, you can get a little bit of tunnel vision like this is the rest of my life,, mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah, I think those kind of guides and advice are really useful for saying, no, you can do it, and these are the place the ways that you can do this safely.
1: What are your thoughts on all the research that shows that or quote unquote, shows that
0: edge sharing isn't safe? I think it's really skewed, in my opinion, and they don't differentiate between the risk factors and what caused it. And I think, When you're looking at cases where, yes, in theory, a baby may have really tragically passed away in in a bed sharing situation. Quite often it's in cases where that was a high risk situation anyway. There was drug or alcohol use, there was cigarette smoking, loads of factors like that that really um, inflate the risk. And I think my understanding is that some of the research also includes things like um, sofa and, and chair sleeping, which, as we know, is a much higher risk. So I think it, for me, it doesn't give a fair representation of bed sharing in situations like with the Safe Sleep 7, where all of those factors are met, what's the percentage of, of infant death in those cases versus the ones where you've got the additional risk factors. And I think without that, it's very difficult to break it down to a, to a way that is fair and a, a, a proper reflection of, of what the reality is.
1: Right. And I love that you that you mentioned that I was hoping that you were going to say that because <laughs> it is so true. Like they they will look at, you know, cases where it ended tragically, and it's usually it was not done in the safe way, or it wasn't even one of the parents who was bed sharing with the baby, or it was done on the couch, or it was done with a smoking parent. So um, and they don't differentiate also between SIDS and risk of bed sharing, right? Because that's mm. completely different. SIDS is the cause. We have a better idea of what the cause is, but it's not that if you share, your baby may pass from SIDS. SIDS can happen anywhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they're very different things, aren't they? So mm-hmm. they shouldn't be lumped together at all in the research, should they? Right. Tell us a little bit more about your book. Like what, what can you tell us about your book? Um, so it's called I Will Always Help You Sleep. Um, and it follows the baby's journey right from being newborn... Baby's coming home, and and mum's kind of going on that journey of realising what she needs, and so you follow her where mum's realising that actually she doesn't ever want to be put down. She doesn't want to go in her crib. She's she's learning that it's okay to to support her to sleep and to hold her and contact nap and things like that. It's not put in those kind of terms because it's a child's book, but as a parent, you can kind of follow those themes throughout the book, and then we follow it right the way through to toddlerhood, basically when she's running around and ultimately she's in her own room and then she's still coming back in the morning um, into mom and dad's bed she has the dog which is based on our dog Pablo so she's got a little cocker spaniel and you see their relationship growing throughout the book as well and you know going from him running up and sniffing her face at the beginning through to them playing together running around in the garden together and things like that so it's it's a nice journey of sort of baby through to toddlerhood and seeing how that sleep pattern progresses and I think that's quite nice from it it, I think it's useful and things that I necessarily hadn't realized when I wrote it but from feedback from other people that actually it's really good for bedtime transitions so helping babies and toddlers to understand when they're moving to their own bedroom it's really useful for that kind of thing or introducing a new baby sibling why you know why does a baby need lots of support at the, the you know when they're little so yeah it's had quite a lot of impact from that point of view that I'd never even anticipated when I wrote it but you see how people interpret it differently and that's really lovely. It's lovely. Does your daughter really like the book? She does um yeah it took probably I'm trying to think how many reads not that many before she realized that it was about us. It's not got her name in it um I had a whole thing about do I put her name in it do I not and I ended up choosing a different name because I thought you just don't know what they want in the future but I always change it to her name when I redo it. So she often will will ask and get excited and go, read mummy's book, read mummy's book. And she Aww. knows and she sees my picture at the end of the book. And quite often she just wants to skip to my picture at the end, have a look at that before we go through it. You know, she recognises the dog because it's it's quite um, a good likeness in the picture of him. So, yeah, she really enjoys reading it. Um, That's a she, really
2: nice gift for yeah. her, too.
0: I hope so. I hope she'll treasure it when she's older and she'll know. Yeah.
1: And maybe she'll read it to her own children. <laughs>
0: Oh, fingers crossed. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah.
1: (laughs) If there was a family that was considering bed sharing, what are three
0: tips you would give them? Firstly, learn how to do it safely and go and find that information that we've talked about so that you, it's mostly to relieve, I think your own anxieties as well. And to understand what, what it means to do it safely, how to do it safely. And then so that you can have peaceful rest because None of this is any good if you're you're laying there awake, too anxious to um to actually sleep. You know, a lot of the point of it is it's going to improve our sleep and and our night's rest. So I think that's the first one is really important. Second one is to enjoy it, embrace it, know that what you're doing is is natural and you're supporting your baby, um, and that that's absolutely okay. You know, they will get out of your bed eventually, and it's a season, isn't it? So embrace that whilst you have it and enjoy enjoy the time with you. I'm trying to think of a third one. What would your third one be? Have you got any ideas? Buy your book. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You can read it. You're a better better salesperson than me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think think you covered it all in the first two. Like number one rule is to do it safely, right? And even when I'm talking to my prenatal families and, you know, I often ask, you know, do you have a sleep plan? What is your plan for overnight parenting? And even the families who are like, we do not want to bed share at all. Great. And then if you don't want to bed share, I don't want you to bed share. But I still recommend that you learn how to set up your bed safely. Because every parent hits that wall, right? In the middle of the night, it's 2 a.m. You are so sleep deprived. You cannot put your baby down because every time you do, they wake up. And that's when most parents end up pulling their babies into the bed at that point at 2 a.m. when they're desperate and they they just need to sleep. And so if you already have your bed set up safely in this and the sleep environment set up safely, it's okay to do that. Right. It's, It's a very low risk situation versus if you don't have that environment set up safely, you're taking a much bigger risk when you when you do that, when
0: you hit that wall and pull your baby into the bed. Yeah, I fully agree. I think that's really important. Well,
1: where can parents find you if they want to connect with you and learn more about you and your book? So
0: Instagram is my my biggest one, which is The Respectful Mum. So it's M-U-M, plus, um, obviously English. Um, okay. And I am on other socials, so TikTok and Facebook, but don't use them as much. So Instagram is my big one. The book is for U.S. and that kind of audience. The easiest place to find it is on Amazon. In brackets on that that one, it says US version because I've got two versions with the UK spellings and the, the US spellings. So the one that's available worldwide is the US one, which is the easiest place for you guys to find it is Amazon. Yeah. That's it really, yeah. Great, and I will put links to
1: all of those in the show notes so people can connect with you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today, Zoe. This was fun. It's been great. I'm really, really happy that you invited me on and thank you so much. Thank
1: you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, shellytaftibclc.com, where you can check out more options for support through Pregnancy and Beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.